Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday sermon was given by Senior Pastor, Reverend Dr. Ray Hilton. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Scripture reading today is from the first book of Samuel, chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Please join me in a prayer for illumination. O Lord our God, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Give us grace to receive your truth in faith and love, that we may be obedient to your will and live always for your glory. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. First Samuel, chapter 3, verse 1. The boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were not widespread. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his room. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called, Samuel, Samuel. And he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. The Lord called again, Samuel. Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel again a third time, and he got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood there, calling as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. God bless you. Thank you for worshiping with us this morning and thank God for the reading of Holy Scripture. Here we are on the third Sunday of this new year and the third Sunday of the year always falls on Martin Luther King Jr.'s the weekend and the birthday and his celebration. And we give thanks to God for the life and the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. You know, there are certain stories in the Bible 
which evokes love and concern when I read it. And for me, today's reading is one of them. Here's what I love about today's reading. When I became a, a young follower of Jesus at the age of 17, 16, 17 years old, I remember reading with great delight this story of how the God of heaven and earth looked low and found a young boy to do his work. You see, the church I was going to, when I looked up on the platform and I looked at all the leaders, they were all older people, and, and rightly so. And it, but, it, but it formed in my mind that the idea that, well, I've got to wait till I'm way up there in age before God could use me. And then I read this wonderful story that God uses young people to do great things. I love the notion that God knows our name. And when God calls us, God doesn't say, hey, you. God calls you by your name. I love the notion, and this is what I get when I read this story, that God is not aloof. God is not aloof to the challenges and the circumstances of our lives, the challenges and the circumstances of our day. But the picture we have of God is that God comes near and God calls us and God invites us to do his will. But I also, when I read this story, I'm also concerned. And here's my concern that when some people read this story, they think that God only calls the special ones. God only calls the people who are, you know, whether they're tall or they've got certain looks or they went to certain schools and they come from a certain neighborhood, you know, that kind of thinking. And you read this story and you find that, no, it's not just the special ones. The concern I have is that, well, what if God only calls people to do priestly or religious work, because really that's what this story is all about. God was calling this young boy to be sort of a prophet priest. I mean, is that the extent of God's call? So what I want to speak to you about this morning is a really important theme for me, and I hope it will be for you. And it's the idea of when God calls your name, when God calls your name. And you see, as followers of Jesus, we believe that God works through people. God works through people to accomplish God's great work on earth. He works through people. And he's looking for people like you and me to accomplish his great work on earth. And so the scriptures are full of examples of God calling people. You think of Adam and Eve when God came looking for them and calling them and saying, where are you? And God coming to Abram and calling him and calling Moses, which is one of my favorite call stories in the Bible. God calling Gideon, God calling people like Samson. And, you know, none of these people are perfect, but God called them nonetheless. Jonah, God called Paul, God called the disciples. And you think even outside of Scripture, people like Augustine or the calling of Mother Teresa, the calling of people like Deborah. God calling Mary. God calls people. And in today's reading, as you know, God calls a young boy by the name of Samuel. And this is the same Samuel whose mother, Hannah, couldn't have children. And she prayed and prayed and prayed to God. She, even was, she was so distraught one day as she was praying to God about having a child that Eli the priest came into the tent of meeting and thought that this woman was drunk. 
But then God heard her prayer. God gave her a baby, and she dedicated that boy, named him Samuel, and dedicated him to the Lord to serve with Eli in the presence and in the service of God. And it's a beautiful thing. Why does God call people? Well, I think God calls people because there are needs. Things are broken. People need healing. Lives need to be restored. Burdens need to be lifted. Vision needs to be cast. Systems of evil need to be challenged. Great companies need to be launched. God calls people to do God's work. And in the case of Samuel, why did God call Samuel? Because the times were hard. The times were difficult. Read the book of Judges and you get a sense of what was happening when God called Samuel. And you can see on your screen, we're at the very end of the book of Judges. The last verse of the last chapter of the book of Judges says, In those days, there was no king in Israel. All the people did what was right in their own eyes. Sounds like America, right? Sounds like America. Sounds like the West, where people have their own laws, their own values, their own standards, and you don't tell me what I, what I must do. I am my own captain. I'm going to do what I want to do. Well, that's what was happening in Samuel's time, times. And then the sons of Eli. Eli had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. And these boys, these priests, were poster boys of this era of spiritual lawlessness. They were disdainful of God. The New Revised Standard says that they were scoundrels. They had no regard for the Lord. And if you read toward the end of, of our reading in, in 1 Samuel 3, or actually it's in chapter 2, where the Lord says, Those who honor me, I will honor. Those who disdained me, I will disregard. And these boys were disdaining and disregarding God. And they didn't care about the integrity of their calling to be the priests of the people. They were stealing food as the people were offering their, their sacrifices to God. And they were sexually harassing the women. They were actually lying with women at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And they were priests. And their dad knew it. And their dad didn't do enough to curb them or even to fire them. These times were times of corruption among the religious leadership, among the political leadership. And then we read in chapter 3 that these were times of scarcity, not scarcity of food, not scarcity of water, but scarcity in hearing the word of God. The word of God was rare in those days, we're told, and visions were not widespread. So these were days of unfaithfulness, days of spiritual darkness, spiritual deadness, lots of religious imposters walking around. But the thing I want you to remember this morning is that no matter how dark it gets, God is still present. And I think what you read in chapter, chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, I think it's laden with symbolism, where it says that the eyes of Eli had grown dim. And Eli represented the spiritual temperature, the visionary, the, the, the mediator between God and the people. And here we're told that the eyes of Eli had grown dim and he could not see. He couldn't see physically, of course, but I also think it has spiritual meaning. He really couldn't see. And then the text says in verse 3 that the lamp of the Lord 
had not yet gone out. And I think, of course, literally, there was a lamp in the tent of meeting that had to be kept burning with olive oil. But the notion of the lamp of the Lord that symbolizes the presence of God, the power of God, that had not yet gone out. There was hope. And so Eli wasn't walking with God. His eyes were dim, his ears were deaf, but God was still active and on the move. And we need to remember this. If you will just give me a pause here, friends, we need to remember this, that every nation goes through what I call the ups and the downs, seasons of faithfulness and unfaithfulness. And in this season, they had reckless leaders, unfaithful leaders, and leaders can affect many things. Depending on the platform then on that that leader is on, they can affect the course of a nation. They can affect the course of a church. They can affect the course of a company. And I remember last Wednesday, I was busy on Wednesday, and after the lot of what I had to do, and I finally got home, and I sat down and looked at what was happening in Washington, D.C. It just it, it just floored me because there I was, like the rest of the world, witnessing people throwing off decency, throwing off decorum, throwing off respect for democracy, and forcefully and violently entering federal space, the Capitol building. And the verdict is still out, but from what we're hearing, there was some intent to do harm. Five people already have died in various ways because of that incident. I do want to say something about national crises of this nature. So often, I remember when 9-11 happened, people looked to the church. I remember when major events have happened in this nation, people immediately looked to the church. And my understanding is that on Sunday, last Sunday, many of you expected that the sermon or the references would have been about what happened on Wednesday, December, on Wednesday, January 6th. And uh, some of you know, some of you may not know, that much of what we do for Sunday morning and what you're watching right now, I'm kind of telling you the secret sauce, it actually is recorded on Wednesday morning. And by the time we had wrapped up the work and, you know, much of the work was being done, things were happening in D.C. And it's not always easy to turn things around and reflect within a Sunday morning service this awareness that the world has changed. I don't want you to think that we as leaders and pastors in this church keep our heads stuck in the sand. And the fact that you didn't hear any overt references except in the prayer doesn't mean we didn't hear it, we didn't notice it, and we don't care. In our staff meeting this week, we talked about contingencies that we can put in place to be a little bit more nimble on our feet to respond to these things. But let me also say to you, though, because there are times when the church cannot fully speak into the issue, and it's important for you to still ask the theological question, where is God? What is God up to? What is my role in the midst of all these things that are going on in our nation? So yes, we are going to hold ourselves responsible to be supportive and helpful in interpreting the times, but I also want to hold you responsible to join us in asking the same questions that we ourselves are asking. Where is God? What is God up to in light of the situations that we are facing? But I don't want you to lose heart 
Because if we read this text, it is telling us that God's light and God's lamp have not gone out, that God has always had a people ready to do his will. And that should humble us, and that should cause us to tremble, and that should give us pause, because God's work is bigger than any one person. God has always had ready at his disposal people who are ready to do his will. Eli couldn't see and hear, but there was that little boy lying down asleep that God was now beginning to call and raise him up to do his work. And I want you to know this morning that God knows your name. Just as our God knows Samuel's name, God know, knows your name. And three times this young boy heard his name being called. And the first two times he went obediently to Eli, thinking that Eli was calling him to do something. Take out the trash. Go make sure the door is locked. And Eli said, no, I'm sorry, I'm not calling you. Go back to bed. And the third time he heard his name called again, Samuel. He might have been about 12 or 14 years old. And what I love about this, this is what appealed to me as a young boy reading this story, is that in the economy of God, age is not a factor. God knows your name. Age is not a factor and God will call you into service. And on the third calling of his name, Eli got it. Eli said, hold on a minute, this is God. God is calling this boy. And so he advised him. He said, now listen to me, Samuel. The next time you hear your name being called, this is what I want you to say. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. The word of the Lord to Samuel was not a pleasant word. Because when Samuel finally said, here am I, Lord, I'm your servant. Speak, I'm listening. God gave him a word, and it was a word of judgment. It was a word of strong rebuke to Eli for being a negligent father. And the Lord told this young boy, I am about to punish Eli's house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Eli being the curious cat, comes to him the next morning and said, okay, don't hold anything back. What did God say? And Samuel, a 14-year-old boy, had to lower the boom, tell him the truth, and say, God's not pleased with you, and you're going to lose your job, your sons are going to die, and the glory of Israel is going to be taken over by the enemies of Israel, the Ark of the Covenant. So it was bad news. And God called this young man to do this job. You know, tomorrow, some of us, and I hate to say it this way, but you just need to understand, I know what I'm talking about. Some of us in this nation will pause to remember the life of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. National holiday. It's not celebrated by all. And this is America, right? Everybody do what they want to do. Nobody can stop him. God called Martin Luther King Jr. Not in the manner that Samuel's called. And reflecting on his call to become a minister, Dr. King said, my call to the ministry was not 
a miraculous or a supernatural thing. On the contrary, he said, it was this inner urge calling me to serve humanity. And some people think that unless they have a burning bush kind of experience or a blinding light on the road to Damascus, that God isn't calling them. And I love what Friedrich Buechner does with this idea of calling. He says, the place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Think about that. The place where God is calling you is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. And if you can discern what your greatest joy is and what you believe is a pressing need in our world and then find where the two intersect, chances are you will begin to understand God's calling in your life. And this is what happened to Dr. King. He had this deep desire to help his humanity, to help people around him. He had a deep desire to explore what he calls the somebodiness of black people. Because when he looked around him, he saw that people of African descent were being treated as nobodies, and he wanted people to know that they were somebody. And so he came to prominence at a time in our nation's history when this artificial hierarchy, this caste system existed that elevated one group of people over another simply because of the lie of racial superiority. And it was in December of 1955, in fact, December 1, 1955, when this very quiet, dignified woman called Rosa Parks said, in so many words, enough is enough. And she refused to give up her seat on that bus. And you can see the picture, see that that woman maybe weighs less than 100 pounds, but you see that, that look of steeliness on her face. She refused to give up her seat to a white man. And it was this incident that God used in Dr. King's life to propel him into this Montgomery bus boycott and then further on onto a national platform. Dr. King, though, when he died, was just a young man of 39 years old when on April 4, 1968, in Memphis, Tennessee, he was shot and killed. He was preparing to lead a march in support of striking black sanitation workers as part of the Poor People's Campaign. And one of the enemies of freedom, the enemies of justice, shot him shot him in the face, and he died in the company of some of his closest friends. But Dr. King saw the need. He heard the call, and he said yes to the leading of Almighty God. And if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, and I want you to believe, I want you to believe that no matter how dark it gets in America, Know that the light and the lamp of God has not gone out, that God is still active. God is still active in the world, and God is still seeing, and God knows, and God cares, and God is calling. God is calling men and women, young and old, to respond to the needs that are around them. Respond. And I don't want you to put Dr. King 
on a level uh, and to deify him. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't say, well, you know, that's King and, you know, that's Barack Obama and, and think of all the great Americans. That's, that's uh, you know, you name all the great ones. Well, he was just a human being who answered the call. And your call doesn't have to be as dramatic as Dr. King. Your call doesn't have to be as dramatic as Samuel. Just know that God is calling you. And I want you to know that God is calling every one of us in two very specific ways. I believe this morning that God is calling every one of us, according to what John Calvin calls that general call. That everyone is born with a purpose. Everyone is born with a reason for being. Everyone is born with something that they can offer. That light, that hope, that joy, that healing, that peace, that, that, that contribution, no matter how small it is. Every one of us is born with that capacity to give back based on God's call. We're called to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves, and everyone gets that call. Everyone is called to love their enemy. Everyone is called to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with God. And you don't need a degree. You don't need words being written in the sky. You don't need a flash of lightning. You just need to know that it is a general call to follow Jesus and to answer that call. So you're already called, whether you know it or not. You've, you've been given that general call. But then there is also what's called a special call. That God calls his people not just to faith, but to express that faith in some very definite areas of life that is for you and not for somebody else. Martin Luther and John Calvin regarded that special call, they use the word vocation. In other words, we are called into the everyday world. And the idea of a calling, the idea of a vocation is first and foremost about being called by God to serve him within his world. And so work, your work, whatever it is, you could be just at home cleaning diapers, you could be working, doing surgery to remove cancer. You could be looking over legal briefs. You could be looking over lesson plans. You could be driving a garbage truck. Whatever your work is, the way Christians see work and vocation, they see it as a special blessing from God so that through their work, they can deepen their faith. Through their work, they can display the glory and the activity of God in their lives through the work that they do. And I love my work. And you, don't, you cannot pay me to be a pastor. If you fired me, if I had to leave this job and go work at McDonald's, I would still want to work as a pastor because it's not about the money. It's about this calling, this special calling that I know I have to be a pastor. And I hope you feel the same way about your work. Your, your, your joy, your greatest joy, intersecting with a need, and that's where you find your call. I hope you have that joy, that light in your eyes about the work that God is calling you to do. And you say, why is that so important? And you look on the screen and you look at that verse, Ephesians 2 and verse 10. 
And I'll read it. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. Now, that's a good verse for people who are Christians in the Presbyterian Church, who believe in the sovereignty of God, who believe in the providence of God, who believe that not even one hair on your head can fall to the ground without God knowing that God knows the beginning and the end of your days. All of your days are written into his book, even before one of them came to be. When you believe that, you, then you see your life as having purpose. And of all the organizations and institutions on this earth, the church then should be the most responsive community to the call of God, where the joy that you find in your life is intersecting with the world's need. The church should be the most responsive community in that way, because we follow a Savior who said, I've come to do God's will. We follow a Savior who said, it's not my will, but your will be done. We follow a Savior who said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish the course. That's the, that's the legacy that Jesus left for the church. Pick up your cross, he said, and follow me. And as people who follow Jesus, we must live with the same desire, the same desire to give our lives and our all and our best in service to him. I remember years ago, a very touching story, I want to tell you, at least touching for us, when one of our sons would frequently run to his mother and he would say, did you call me? I'm serious. And this boy would tell his parents, you know, sometimes I think I hear somebody calling my name. And Judith and I would look at each other, and I kid you not, Judith said to him, kind of jokingly, but we actually did mean it. When you hear your name being called, say, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. As we close this part of our service, I want to ask you to do something that I do just about every day because I know I'm not here for myself. I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price, and I want to glorify God in my body while I still have my breath. And so many times when I wake up, I say, God, use me. Use me, Lord. Use me for your glory. Let me tell the story. Lord, I will obey. There's no other way. Use me, use me, Lord. Now for me, in my special call, that has meaning. But for you in your special call, you could be retired. Wherever you are in your life right now, it doesn't matter. I want you to say these words to God. Here I am, Lord. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. Use me, Lord. Use me, Lord. Use me, Lord. Use me for your glory. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.